to the RPC Sermons Podcast. You can join us for virtual worship every Sunday at roswellpress.org. Thanks for listening. Uh, Today we continue in our season of Lent. Lent are the 40 days that lead up to Easter, excluding Sundays. We've been looking at seven great prayers from the Christian tradition. We started with the Lord's Prayer. Last Sunday, we looked at the serenity prayer. And today, we're going to look at a prayer attributed to St. Francis of Assisi called the Instrument of Your Peace Prayer. Chosen a text from the prophetic book, Isaiah. Time where Isaiah is looking, needing, wanting peace. So let's open our hearts, our minds, and our ears for the word of the Lord from Isaiah 2. The word that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised above the hills. All the nations shall stream to it. Many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console. To be understood as to understand. To be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing, your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We live at a time of conflict and chaos. Just taken from recent headlines, Kremlin warns against NATO ground intervention in Ukraine. Hamas rejects ceasefire proposal. The forgotten war, Sudan's conflict, is a threat to regional stability and millions of lives. Blood and sweat, Myanmar resistance fights to overturn military coup. And this is just global conflicts. We have conflict in our country, in our state, in our city, and yes, even in our homes. In a world of conflict, for those of us who set out to follow Jesus Christ, how can we be instruments of peace. If you witness all of the conflict in our world and are left speechless, then St. Francis's prayer is for you. Contains wisdom for all those who seek to be peacemakers in a world full of conflict and strife and violence. 
How do we make peace amidst the world's unrest? Thinking about this question this week, it reminded me of a time I wish I would have known about St. Francis' prayer. I was a senior in high school, and the Asian mafia wanted to kill me. I heard you laugh. (laughs) I was in a high school physics class, and I was assigned a seat in the front row next to Sam, who was the student body president. Sam was a really nice guy. Everybody liked Sam except this day. Our physics teacher was talking to us about nuclear waste and how long it takes to break down and the threat it is to the environment, to the water supply, to our future. And the teacher was asking for us to brainstorm what to do with it. Bury it. Put it out in the ocean, send it into space. And for some reason, Sam blurts out, why don't we just take a rocket and shoot it into Asia? I didn't think much of it, but I heard some noise coming from the back of the classroom. This is where Steve Chow and his friends sat. They were rumored to be drug dealers and associated with the Asian mafia. And they sat there glaring at Sam and by association glaring at me. When the class ended and we were leaving, they were lined up outside the exit, glaring at us. They must have gotten our class schedules Because every class after that, they would be waiting, a few of them, outside when we would be leaving the class, staring us down. Needless to say, I was 6'5", hard for me to hide. I thought I was a dead man. These guys were not guys you wanted to mess with. The word was out in the school that they wanted to kill us. I didn't know what to do. My girlfriend at the time, her dad had the brilliant idea. He said, oh, just take a hacksaw, go out to Steve's car, cut off the spoiler, and then say, come bring it on. So that is no way to make peace. But isn't this how conflict often arises? A flippant, insensitive, maybe unintentional racist comment leads to conflict. Hurt feelings disrespect, the failure to show honor. It leads to conflict. Whether it's in international relations, a marriage, or in a high school classroom, it's quite easy to find yourself in conflict. What can Jesus possibly teach us about resolving conflict peaceably? How can we resolve it? the conflicts, the arguments, the discord peacefully in our lives? How can we become what St. Francis calls an instrument of your peace? To understand our passage today and to understand the ministry of Jesus, we really have to understand the tradition in which he's born into. 
Our passage comes from Isaiah. Isaiah worked about 800 years before Jesus in that second half of the 8th century BCE. The understanding of Israel and Judah are essential for understanding Jesus' ministry. You may remember that in Genesis 12, God intervenes and founds a covenant with Abraham, founds a people. Many years later, Abraham's descendants find themselves in slavery in Egypt. God raises up Moses, leads the people out of captivity to the edge of the promised land. Some time later, out of the fields of Israel's raised David, shepherd who becomes the greatest, the greatest king in Israel. After he, then there are a couple of his grandchildren and a couple of his former servants who clash. And it leads to a division in the kingdom. You have the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom is made up of ten tribes. It's called Israel. And it makes its capital in Samaria. This makes reading the Old Testament kind of making sense of it very confusing. The southern kingdom is referred to as Judah. It's two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. And Judah's capital is Jerusalem. And this is where Isaiah works out of. He's in the courts of power, interacting with the powers that be. And he brings a message of peace. He says, many people shall come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. You see, the people of the southern kingdom of Judah are constantly under threat primarily from the Assyrians. But they have corrupt kings, they have religious teachers with circumspect intentions. They have dangers within, threats from without. Sound familiar? And they ask, God, we need peace. We're scared. We fear for the future. And Isaiah has a prediction about the future. He says, for out of Zion shall go forth instruction and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. See, the people feel stuck in a situation that they cannot get out of. They don't know how to get out of it. Do you all know what a Mexican standoff is? It's a plot device often used in films to heighten the tension in a film. It was made famous by Clint Eastwood. Clint Eastwood's movie, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, was also used in John Woo's, the Chinese, Chinese director, his movies, almost in every one of Quentin Tarantino's movies. It occurs when three or more characters have a weapon, usually a firearm that's pointed at each other. And one person cannot harm another because if he does, someone else will harm him. But he cannot extricate himself from his predicament because if he leaves, he will be harmed. And so they're trapped. My favorite standoff scene comes in the sixth season of The Office. (laughs) At the end of the episode, Andy, Dwight, Michael, and Pam find themselves in a standoff with handguns. Not firearms, but literally their hands are guns. And they can't move. And they're talking trash to each other. There's this cutaway with Michael Scott who says, this is the hardest I've worked in a long time. (laughs) We learned something interesting here. At 6 o'clock, Jim enters the room, says, okay, guys, it's 6 o'clock. Time to go home. 
and everybody disbands. Standoff's over. And we learn something important in this scene, that usually a standoff like this requires somebody from outside the situation to intervene, someone to break in. When we live in a world of conflict and violence and war, we're in a standoff feeling threatened and vulnerable. We need someone to step in and bring peace on our behalf. And Isaiah says, God is going to intervene. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Back when I was in high school, I needed someone to intervene. We were not going to be able to make peace with these guys. They were not ready to forgive and forget. We needed someone to intervene, and that person was our high school principal. (laughs) Called everyone into his office. Steve Chow, he sat there staring lasers into Sam's soul. Sam just simply looked at his lap. Principal talked to me. Jeff, I need you to work something out between Sam and Steve. And then he sent me in. You thought I was working for the United Nations. (laughs) Steve, you know Sam said something he shouldn't have. Right, Sam? Now, Steve, he's really sorry. He promises he won't say anything like this again. He knows how stupid he was. Right, Sam? Hey, Sam. Can we all be just cool and say we're sorry and go our separate ways? And Steve, while he's looking at the principal, says, yeah, sure. We shake hands and leave. Now, if we hadn't had someone intervene, who knows what might have happened? But still, in the back of our minds, we were wondering... Are we at peace or not? In our passage, Isaiah is waiting for someone to instruct them in the way of peace. Fast forward 800 years when the Prince of Peace comes in the person of Jesus Christ. And then the Apostle Paul, who knew his Isaiah knew his prophetic literature when he's writing to a letter to the church in Ephesus. Listen to how he describes what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Listen to this, Ephesians 2. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace. In his flesh he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall, that is, the hostility between us. He has abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace and might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death that hostility through it. So he came and proclaimed peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him both of us have access in one spirit to the Father. Paul had read his Isaiah. He knew what God had done in Jesus Christ to bring about peace. We have been reconciled to God, and now we are called to be reconciled peacefully to one another. 
And now Jesus invites us to be instruments of peace. Just as that prayer says, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace where there is hatred, let me sow love, where there is injury, pardon, where there is doubt, faith, despair, hope, darkness, light, sadness, joy. Now some of you are so naive. You're thinking I'm so naive. Some of you probably love that bumper sticker. Visualize world peace. And then I know some of you others, you just roll your eyes and you think that's too idealistic, so you settle for visualize world peas. And then I found one maybe by a vegetarian. They say, pray for peas on earth. <laughs> Is peace too idealistic? Can we find peace? For the rest of my senior year, whenever I saw Steve Chow walking in the hallway, I said, Steve, what's up, man? Good to see you. We cool? Looking great. Rarely does peace happen by accident. We must strive to be an agent of peace. I don't know if you paid attention into that prayer, St. Francis, but it starts off, the first half is all about what God is going to bring to us. But then in the second half, it shifts modes. There's a demand, there's a call of how we are called to respond. Listen to it. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, understood as to understand, loved as to love. And in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. We can only do this because Jesus is the catalyst of peace, and now we are ambassadors of that peace. We have been reconciled to God in Christ. Now go and be reconciled to one another. Forgive others. Why? Because Christ has forgiven you. Love others. Why? Because while you were in sin, Christ died for you. This is the holy inversion of the gospel. Those you are supposed, supposed to hate, God says, those you're supposed to forgive and to love. Isaiah says, when you meet the Messiah... When you see God's plan for the future, you will be transformed. He shall judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn, any, learn war anymore. Those instruments, all those things that were used for war now become implements and instruments for peace, for reconciliation, for healing. And so I ask you, have you been transformed by meeting Christ? Have you beaten your swords into plowshares? You're not learning war anymore. To be a peacemaker, we must cultivate love, forgiveness, compassion, nonviolence. This is God's plan for peace, and we are called, invited to be an instrument of that peace. Oh, house of Jacob, come let us walk in the light of the Lord. When you find that peace, do you know how good it feels? We're instruments of Christ's peace. A year after I graduated from high school, I'd moved to Seattle for college. I'd gotten a job at Macy's department store at Green Lake Mall, North Seattle. I was working the day shift. Mall was dead, pretty much. Time came for my lunch break. 
So I went out into the hall. There was no one there. I was about ready to head to the food court. And as I'm walking down the hall, a figure appears. Steve Chow. No one's around. Steve approaches. Must have recognized me. He says, hey, Jeff. Oh, no, is this a trap? I continue to walk. Didn't have enough time to run. And he approaches me, and I didn't know what to do. And I kid you not, folks, he comes out, and he gives me a hug, and like a friendly hug. How's it going, man? What's going on? How you like Seattle? We chatted up. And I cannot tell you. I was asking, were we at peace? Did he forgive me? Was he about to to kill me? And when I saw that wasn't the case, I tell you, I experienced the peace that passes all understanding. (laughs) Folks, God has entered our world. A world that is full of fear and violence and strife and conflict. And yet, we have been invited to be a part of his plan for peace as instruments of peace. Let's plan for peace. Let us not make war anymore. Let's turn those spears and swords into plowshares. Use them as instruments for peace. And we can pray with the saints down through the ages. Oh God, make me an instrument of your peace. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for what you have done in Jesus Christ, that you have reconciled us to yourself. May that truth fill our lives and our hearts, and then may we respond out of that, out of that reconciliation, out of that peace, to be instruments of reconciliation and instruments of your peace. In your name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. Please let us know you're here by visiting roswellpress.org and signing our digital friendship register. May the grace and love of God be with you today and throughout the rest of your week. Thanks for listening.